We're continuing through our sermon series on Proverbs, and we asked the question, what is the good life? Um, A couple things that we said last week is that the good life is not a subjective idea. It's not just us saying, hey, the good life, somebody asked me, like, if you could just have no responsibilities in your life, what would you do? Somebody, I think somebody, I think Ryan asked me this yesterday. I said, I'd probably move to New Zealand, live on a farm, and grow my own veggies and fruit, milk my own cow, have my own eggs. I know, it's like, you think that's not the good life, right? Most of you guys think the good life is sitting on a beach with a pina colada in your hand, just listening to the waves lap over on the ocean, you know? And so, but what we said last week is that the good life is not the subjective idea that we all think like this, oh, this would be the good life, you know? Kicking my feet up for the rest of my days, collecting seashells on the seashore. We said that the good life is a godly life. And in order to get a godly life, we need wisdom. And in order to get wisdom, we we turn to scripture, and specifically, we're going through the book of Proverbs. And just to throw out again, we, we also said this idea that the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. Um, do this plus this, and you'll get this, you know? Often what we do is we read the book of Proverbs like a math equation, and we say, okay, two plus two equals four, and do this and this, and you'll get this. But what we said really is what the book of Proverbs is, it's a book about our hearts. It's a book about us being orientated toward God. Because what the book of Proverbs does is it looks at us and and it sees us from the inside. And it says, hey, this, this isn't wise, this is wise, this is the, the way that you should go. But it's not just so that you will avoid problems in your life, it's so that our hearts will be changed and transformed to become more like God. And so we're going to continue through this series. Today I'm going to ask the question, how do we make wise decisions? If we want to say we want to not just live a good life, but we want to live a godly life, and to live a godly life, we need wisdom, and in order to obtain wisdom, we need scripture in our life. What is, what is scripture, what does the book of Proverbs say about how we should make decisions? I'm sure in this room this morning, there's many of us who may be wrestling with some major decisions right now. Should I go to school? Should I just skip school and go to work? Should I marry this person? Or should I move to this state? Should I do all these things? And, and, and you, you, you have all these things weighing before you and you're like, none of them seem absolutely like black and white, white or right or wrong. So how do I make a wise decision? I, I wanna, well, before we get there, let's look at what scripture has to say. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter three and this is where we're gonna camp out this morning. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Uh, Often we read from the um, English Standard Version. But what I wanted to do is read from an NLT because it's a little bit different. Because a lot of us know this scripture and we could probably cite it off. Uh, And you'll see, once I start reading it, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know that one. But I love how the NLT kind of words it differently. Makes us think sometimes differently uh, how we approach scripture. It says in verse one, chapter three, my child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. 
If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Here it comes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Um, will you guys pray with me this morning? Let's just bow our heads and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. God, we just thank you for your, for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's, it's currently active in our lives, that it, it shows us right from wrong, that it, it orientates us toward you. And God, I pray this morning, as we sit in your scripture, that you would conform our hearts to yours, that you would, any area of our hearts that have drifted away from you, that you would bring us back in alignment. Will you glorify yourself in us this morning through your word? Will you point us to Jesus? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we ask the question, what is wise decision making? How do I make decisions? If, if, if some areas seem gray, I mean the obvious things like, oh, should I lie? You know, we, we know, no, we're not supposed to lie, right? Should I murder this person I'm mad at? No, I shouldn't murder. We, those those kind of areas aren't hard to like make a decision about. Well, maybe they are for you, I don't know, but sometimes. But what the, what the hard part is, is like these gray areas where we go, should I do this or should I do that? I'm at a fork in the road. Neither one seems wrong or right. How do, I, how do I understand these things? And so often what we do is we make a list of pros and cons. Anybody ever do that before? Is it unwise to make a list of pros and cons? No, that's kind of a good thing, right? But that shouldn't be the ultimate way that we make decisions. It's such a pragmatic way of looking at life. And for us who call ourselves Christians, who have put our hope, who have put our faith in Jesus, we know that we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. And so we don't just go through life going, well, this seems like I'll make more money going this way, so I'll do that kind of a thing. And that's just pragmatism. What scripture does is it lets us know that there's so much more than just pros and cons to making life decisions. What does it do? It helps us. And the way it does that is it points, I don't know if you guys saw this, but did you see over and over again how it talked about the heart in this scripture? It talks about how to write these things down on our heart. It talks about how to, uh, uh, to conform them to our heart, et cetera, et cetera. And here, here's the thing about the heart. When I say the word heart, most of us in this room think of like our emotions, right? Like, because that's the way our culture kind of talks about the heart. It talks about as like, how do you feel about this? How do you, how do you, what, what is your, your, your feelings about? But when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about something totally different. Because this is written from a Hebrew perspective, a Jewish perspective. And from the Hebrew culture, when it talks about the heart, it talks about all of who we are. So it's not just our feelings, but it's also our thoughts. It's also our reaction on how we do things. And so when, when, when scripture says conform yourself, your heart, to the truth of who God is, it's not just talking about how our feelings feel about a situation. 
It's not just talking about how, like, if th this makes me happy, and so I'm going to pursue this, right? And so if I'm faced with the decision, well, my heart needs, what does my heart say? Anybody ever say, follow your heart? Anybody ever heard that saying? Don't follow your heart, okay? <laughs> Why shouldn't we follow our heart? We all kind of laugh because we kind of know, like, we know ourselves, right? A heart, this is what the Bible says about our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Ugh. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Oh, just follow your heart. <laughs> you, I have a friend who posts on Instagram these, they're called memes. Is that how you say it? Um, and they, they, they sound so wonderful. But when you line it up with scripture, you just go, no, okay? So I'm gonna read a couple of these memes to you. This was his post this week. I'm not gonna tell you his name. He's not in this room, so don't worry about it. But here's the first meme. My wife's telling me, don't say it's a friend. Okay, here's the first meme. Now listen, see if you can hear the error in this. Don't be perfect, be you. Be what you know you are. Don't look outside yourself for anything. It's all within. Yeah, yeah. How about this one? How to win at life. Let people do what they need to do to make them happy. Mind your own business and do what you need to do to make you happy. <laughs> Last one. Walk away from anything that gives you bad vibes. There is no need to explain or make sense of it. It's your life. Do what makes you happy. Right? Survey says nothing. That's not the correct answer. Why? Why is this? See, it's the worldly wisdom that says just follow your heart. Do whatever makes you happy. But we know that scripture tells us in Jeremiah that the heart is desperately sick. It's wicked. Who can understand it? And we all laugh when I say that because you know your own hearts. You know the evil that's in your heart. If I had it my way, I'd just be getting all the things that I want all the time. Well, how does that affect other people? We don't trust our own hearts. We subject our hearts to the truth of who God is. I think, I, I love this portion of scripture this morning because it, it gives us three kind of big, like, helpful things to do with our hearts. And you'll notice over again, I'm gonna re-say re, re this again, is that it says, it talks about our hearts, but it talks about our hearts being conformed, not being us being conformed to our hearts. So here's what I wanna give us this morning, three points, and they're really easy to remember. So let's go back to, to uh, Proverbs chapter three. And it says, my child, verse one, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commandments in your heart. That's number one. We store God's commandments in our hearts. Now, what does this mean? When I was a kid, I still have this thing, but when I was a kid, I used to have this um, pencil box. 
My dad got it for me when I was in second grade. I still have it. And it was a metal tin. It was red, and it looked like a candy bar. It said crackle. You guys remember that candy crackles? Like you bite in it, it's like, mmm. And I just, I remember, I don't know why I loved this. I think it was the color of it or something. And my dad was uh, quite an artist, and he wrote my name in calligraphy on it. And I remember bringing it to school, being all like, that's right. Look at my name is on here, like calligraphy. But what, what ended up happening as the years went by, I kept this little tin box, and I didn't use it as a pencil box anymore as I got older. I used it kind of as a little thing to keep all my little treasures, my little knickknacks. I was kind of a little eccentric little kid, right? I remember my mom gave me, um, I think it's called malachite. It's a, it's a stone, and it's green. And she gave me this little malachite egg, and it, was, you know, it had weight to it, so it felt valuable. Like I thought it was like really you know, going to get some money. So I stored it in there. Uh, my stepdad, uh, he was in the military, and he would travel all over the world, and he would come back, and he would give me money from other countries. So I have like money from Saudi Arabia and all the, you know. And so I'd store that in there. And then there was like, like a little note that a girl would pass to me at school, like, do you like me, yes or no, check yes, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> my wife's like, uh-uh. Second grade, babe, come on. But I would store all these things in this little tin box because I treasured them. And I, I hid this box. I tried to like, you know, everyone, I, I hide it in my desk under uh, all these things. So like if my stepbrother ever got into my desk, he would never find it because I knew that he would be jealous of the things I had in there. And when scripture tells us to store away the commandments of God, it's talking so much more than just memorization. You know, something we do with our kids, something we do with our kids' ministry, the youth do this, is we, we memorize scripture. And that's a good thing to memorize scripture so that we know it here. But when Proverbs chapter 3 is telling us to store the commands of God in our hearts, it's not talking about just memorize them and have a little compartment in here like a computer and you have, I have 1.2 gigabytes of information in here and I will store all the information. No, what it's saying is imprint it on who you are. Remember we talked about our heart. It's not just our, our feelings. It's, it's the way we think. It is the way we feel. It's the decision making. It's, it's the sum total of who we are. And so when we were confronted with these decisions, like, should I go to school? Should I not? It seems kind of gray. Well, I go back to scripture and I say, God, what does your scripture say about me in this situation? It may not say thou shalt go to school, but it does say bring glory to me in every situation. It does say live your life in such a way that demands an explanation. So God, is this going to line up with what your word says about who I am to be? Have I stored the truth of who you are in my heart? Or have I just done the Christian thing and I know some scripture and I memorize it and I hopefully when I come to a, a situation, I go, oh, oh, this scripture here and I can just spout it out. Or is it alive in me? Is it in me? Does it, does it just kind of naturally ooze from who I am because I've stored it in my heart? Do you guys see the difference? And that's what God's called us to do, to store his commands in his heart. It should also sadden us when we get away from God's word, when we break his commandments, when we choose our own path instead of his. That's a good indication whether you stored God's commands in your heart. Do you feel remorseful 
Or is it just like, oh, God will forgive me. There should be this, man, this is part of who I am. I broke this covenant with God. I'm saddened by this. I repent, God. What else does Proverbs 3 help us with? It uses this word trust in verse 5. Look back with me here. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. This word trust is to believe, is to know, is to lean on. Um, Sometimes our 11-year-old daughter will often ask us for help with homework. And we graciously would try to help her out. So we'll sit down there, you know, and man, I don't know, is anybody a teacher here? Okay, a couple of you, yeah. Man, some of the homework is hard for me. So give the kids some grace, all right, a little bit. But so we'll be sitting trying to work this out with Savannah. And she'll be like, Dad, Mom, can you help me with this? And she usually goes to Mom because, you know, she's way more nice. But she'll go to us and say, hey, can, I, can you help me with this? And so, okay, all right. Did you read through this? Blah, 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 yeah. Okay, did you, did you read the question? And then we, we kind of help her get to the answer. And what happens? That can't be the answer. She looks at us all like disappointed. She gets frustrated and she's like, this isn't, this isn't right. And I go, babe, if you don't want our help, don't ask. We tell her that all the time. Stop asking, you know, if you don't want our help. And she's like, okay, I want your help, fine. And then she comes back and we tell her, this just doesn't seem right. And don't we do that often with God? We, we say, God, I need your help. I'm at a fork in the road. I'm at a kind of like a gray thing here. It, it doesn't seem black and white. Will you please help me? And, he, and you feel like there's two options. And then God, for some reason, says, choose option number three. Option number three? This doesn't seem right. Wait, I, no, 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 no. I'm going to go back to you and ask you again. Like, that that can't be the answer. There's no way. Okay, what should I do? I can either go to school or go to work. Go on a mission trip for a year. That does not, no, I'm not going to hear that. That doesn't seem right. And we do that often with God. Why? Because we put our trust in, a lot of times we ask, we want a certain answer, right? Like my daughter, she wants a certain answer. Or the answer that God gives us doesn't seem pragmatic, It doesn't seem like, well, the pros don't outweigh the cons. How could God ask me to do something like this? You know, us moving back here from Houston, being in 10 years, we felt like God called us back here. And if we were to, on paper, kind of do pros and cons, it wouldn't have have made sense. I even had a friend said, are you sure you're not choosing an easier option because we came back from here? Are you sure you're not just doing this because it seems easier? And I'm thinking to myself, easier? Like to, we've been in Houston 10 years, we have a nice house, we, we have our culture of friends, we, we know the Houstonian culture now, the cost of living is way, I mean, it's just way less. You don't have to pay for plastic bags at the grocery store. <laughs> Our kids were in school, they had their friends, the easier option. So we didn't make this decision out saying, well, let's do pros and lists, pros and cons, all right, well, this, this, and this, and this, you know, blah, blah. No. To be honest, 
Like the, the cons sometimes outweighed the pros because it was, we had to start all over again. New relationships, new, kid, new schools, all the things. But we felt in faith that God said, move back to Southern California, lead a community in Chino. Was that option A or B? No, it was more like option F. And what did we choose to do? We chose to say, okay, God, we trust on you. We lean on you. You know how much you can tell how much trust you have in something? Is how much you lean on it. If I were to sit on one of these chairs this morning, and I know this is like the bad chair, don't sit in this one, but you could still kind of sit on it, but if you lean a certain way, it's gonna buckle. How am I gonna sit in that chair? I'm gonna be like, try to be as center of gravity in that chair as possible. I'm not gonna lean on it. Why? Because I'm afraid it's gonna give way. But if I were to, there's a guy who built this stage, and if you were to look under this stage, I mean, it's got footers and headers, and I mean, the, it, is, it is solid. And I know that I could get on this stage and jump up and down, and nothing's gonna happen to, to me. Why? Because it is solid. And my trust on this stage is way more than what I trust in this flimsy chair that I think might accidentally like buckle underneath me. And we need to put the same kind of trust in God that I would put on this stage. See, what often we do is we say, God, I trust in you until you tell me to do something that seems a little weird. God, I trust in you until you tell me to choose option F instead of A or B. God, I trust you, but not just in this area of my life. I'll trust you with my church friends, but not with my work friends. I'll trust you with, you know, my, maybe my main income, but my savings don't touch that, God. And we don't put our full weight of trust on him because we want to diversify. What if? What if I bend this way a little bit and it gives way? That's not trust. And why does it say trust in the Lord with all of your heart? It's not just, again, it's just not all the way that you feel. It's all of the sum total of who you are. Let me ask you the question this morning. Would your life be any different if you were to trust God with your whole heart? I know mine would be different. Right now, some of us are thinking, oh yeah, my money situation might be different. I might give towards certain things differently. I, I might, you know what, if I trusted God more, I might tell more people about him. If I trusted God, I might be more involved with my community, whatever it is. We all know that there's certain areas that we don't totally trust God with. Look at Judges chapter six. There's this, there's this little guy named Gideon, and this is a, a period of time in Israel where there were no kings. There were just kind of guys appointed who, who didn't really have the authority of a king, but who, who God would use to help set rules for the nation. That's why it's called the Book of Judges. It was, it was a time of judges. And these judges would, would, would um, help, help the nation understand what was right and wrong. And in Judges chapter six, we see the story of a man named Gideon. And it, it starts off with him hiding in, in a wine press, uh, threshing wheat, because he's, he's hiding from an army, he's hiding from an enemy. 
And that's not a place you thresh wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat outside where the air can blow all the chaff. So what they would do is they'd stomp on the, the seed, and it would loosen the seed from the chaff, and they would throw up the, the seed in the air, and then the wind would blow all the chaff away, and what was left was the seeds. Now, he's doing this in a wine press. He's hiding. All of a sudden, as he's doing this act, an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. He's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. He's hiding. Why would, he, why would the angel of the Lord call him a mighty man of valor? And so as the angel begins to speak to him, he gives him a decree. He says, I want you to, de- to defeat this army, your enemy. And he's like, me? I'm like the, the, like the littlest guy. And he goes, I come from a family that is like the least of all of Israel, and I'm like the least in my family. I'm like the smallest little nobody in all of the world. Why would you choose me? But he starts to believe God and he trusts God through this situation. And he gathers an army of, I think like, let me, I wrote it down here, 20, 32, he gathers 32,000 people in his army. And he goes up to march against this army and God says there's too many people. Now, the other enemy It says that they're like the sand on the seashore. There's so many of them. And he's got 32,000 people. Now, first of all, pros and cons, you're already on a con. This is not a pragmatic way to win a battle. So he gathers 32,000 men, and then God tells him, "Um, no, there's too many people. What? Yeah, there's too many people. Get rid of all these people. Whoever doesn't want to fight, let them go. So all those people leave, and now he's down to like 10,000 people. God, this cannot be the way. This does not make sense. He gets down to 10,000 people, and God says, you know what? There's still too many people. Uh, What? Excuse me? Yep, there's still too many people. So why don't you take them down by this water, and whoever drinks a certain way, get rid of those guys, and whoever drinks this way, keep those guys. Guess how many people stick around? 300 people. That doesn't make any sense. You want me to do what? With who? You gotta be out of your mind. What ends up happening, if you know the story, Gideon ends up defeating this major army with 300 people. An amazing story. Now here's the beauty of this. Judges chapter six and verse 23. But the Lord said to him, speaking to Gideon, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. In verse 24, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Now what I've done is I've told you the whole story, but what, with this scripture is I went back. Did you know this portion here is before the battle took place? This is before even his, his, his army is even gathered. He's only been given a decree, go defeat this army. Has he, does he have peace in this situation? Not really. The nation of Israel is not in peace. It is in war with this enemy. But what you'll see here is Gideon builds an altar and he calls it, the Lord is peace. How can someone build such a, have this encounter, have a moment with God in the middle of strife and call it peace is because Gideon trusted God with his whole heart that God would come through. 
See, Gideon didn't look at, okay, well, pragmatically pros and cons. What he did is say, God, I trust you. You're bigger than me. You told me to sit on this chair that looks like it's going to fall apart. But I'll trust you. I'll put my full weight on it. And that's what faith is. That's what trusting in God is. It's when the situation may not seem like a pros and cons list that's going to come out for our benefit. We say, God, I trust you. You know, just a practical thing about this, like leaning on our own understanding as well. That's community. We talked about community a couple weeks ago. So often we make decisions just kind of unto ourselves, right? We, well, this seems good to me, so I'm going to do it. And we don't get perspective of the godly community, the means of grace that God has given us. You know, we didn't move here just going to go, all right, this is what we're doing. I don't care what anybody says. No, we were like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? This is a big decision. You know, Ryan and Steph, they moved from Fullerton. They were part of the Fullerton Southlands community. And they felt like God called them to come here and, and to be a part of the Chino community. Did they do that on their own willy-nilly? No. They felt like God said something, and then they went to the community leader, whose name is Nick Saltis, and they said, what do you think about this? They trusted and leaned on God so much that they moved from Fullerton, and now they're living down the street because they felt like God called them to Chino. But they didn't do it in isolation. They didn't do it on their own. And so my encouragement to us this morning is, don't make decisions on your own. These big life decisions. Get community involved. That doesn't mean you have to ask, like, what shirt should I wear today? It just means, like, should I go to school or should I go to work? Should I go on a missions trip? Should I, should I get married to this person? What do you think? Et cetera, et cetera. All right. You guys doing all right? We're almost done. Number three is that we seek God. And you got papers flying everywhere around here. It's just the Holy Spirit moving through here. We seek God. Proverbs chapter 3 tells us to seek God. What does it mean to seek God? It means to pursue Him first and foremost. It means that He is our first option. I know this is like a silly little illustration, but I often think about like when my wife will, will struggle with headaches. Often. And sometimes we just go with the pragmatic thing and go, well, babe, did you take an Excedrin? And she's like, I did, I took an extension, it still won't go away, you know, that kind of thing. And that sometimes is my go-to. Instead of like saying, God, I'm going to pray for my wife that she would be healed from a headache. I think part of it is sometimes is I don't want to pray and then God doesn't come through and then I'm like, eh, that was weird, that was awkward, you know. But it's, it's not just headaches that we should seek God and it talks about our whole heart seeking God. Let me throw out that question again. What would your life look like if you sought God with your whole heart? Would it be different? I know for me it would. Why? Because I seek other things. Other things sometimes give me meaning or give me fulfillment over God sometimes. You ever feel that way? You ever do that? Whether it's my family, whether it's my bank account, whether it's my job status, etc. Sometimes I seek those things to give me meaning. 
Proverbs 3 says, if you want wisdom, you seek God first and foremost. Why can we do all these things? Why, can, why should we store in our hearts the commandments of God? Why, why should we trust God and not lean on our own understanding? Why should we do that with all our heart? Why should we seek God first with all our heart and not things or situations? Let me tell you guys this morning, God is trustworthy. Let me... Raise your hand if God has been faithful to you. Okay, just keep those hands there for a second. And this is okay. I want us to be totally honest. If you've seen the faithfulness of God, keep your hand up. If you ever felt like God has ever let you down, put your hand down. If you feel that God has ever let you down, put your hand down. Keep them up if you know that God's always been faithful is what I'm saying. Okay, I think I didn't say that right, so you guys messed, uh, I messed you up. If, if God has ever let you down, put your hand down. <laughs> My point is, that didn't, that didn't work out right. <laughs> mm. You know, I, I can think of things, it feels like sometimes like, oh, this doesn't, how come God you didn't do this, this, and it was based on my own subjective feelings towards something. But if I were to honestly, objectively look back at my life and think about the faithfulness of God, there's never, ever been one time that God has ever abandoned me where I have sought God, trusted him, or stored his commandments in my heart where God has turned his back on me. Never Never once. And so often we, we don't do these things because we believe a lie about God. We do what Eve did in the garden. God comes and says, look at all this is good. It's good, it's good, it's good. Just don't eat of this, this fruit here. And then the enemy comes and he speaks a lie to her and she believes a lie. And it's not that she necessarily believed a lie about the fruit per se. She believed a lie about God. And we do that, and so we turn away because we believe like, oh, well, God's calling me to trust and put all my weight on him, but I don't really think that he'll be totally and completely faithful to me. So I need to turn to these other things. I need to put my weight on some of my 401k. I need to put my weight on this relationship over here. And we believe a lie about God and we give in to the lie that he's not trustworthy. But my encouragement to you guys this morning, he is faithful 100% of the time. He will never let you down. Put your full weight, put your full trust, lean in, seek him with all of who you are. Give all of who you are that sum total when the Bible speaks about our hearts, not just the way we feel, but all of the essence of who we are rested on him because he'll hold you. There's no area of him that is shaky or a little quirky over here. There's no area of God that will ever, ever let you down. He 
is faithful. And no more did he ever show us that more with his son Jesus. On the cross, he made a way for you and me to be able to approach him, to be able to seek him. See, if we just take Proverbs, Proverbs 3 by itself and say, okay, we're supposed to seek God, we're supposed to store his commandments in our hearts, we're supposed to trust him, and we do this all in our own strength, it doesn't last. But when we come back to the one who is always faithful, demonstrated mostly in Christ, we say, Jesus, you did this for me so that I can do this. You gave your life completely for me. I'll give all of the sum total of who I am, I'll surrender it to you, because you're trustworthy. You demonstrated that for me. So much, you're so trustworthy that you, you died for me. You didn't hold anything back. Where, where are you not trusting God this morning? Where are you not seeking God? Where are you just kind of doing the Christian thing without storing the completeness of who he is on your heart? If it, if it was like a branding iron this morning, pulling it from the hot coals, searing the truth of who God is on your heart, what would it leave this morning? What would the imprint say? Would there be kind of like parts of the world, parts of your own, ownness in there, or would it just be all one brand of who God is this morning, seared on your heart?